This is Bimbo Bookshelf, a podcast focused on books, literature, and love of learning. Each episode is hosted by two friends, Brittany and Sophia, and occasionally includes co-hosts, interviews, and listener voicemails. Join us on the never-ending wormhole of books and topics that pique our interest, and reach out to us through Instagram DMs or email at bimbobookshelf at gmail.com to be part of the conversation. first official episode and our first side quest episode. We're going to be getting into all things love today, including the wild and weird history behind Valentine's Day and other earlier celebrations, as well as our own sordid relationship to the holidays. And we're going to close out the episode with some of the poetry that we have selected as well as had people send in. Sophia and I have spent the last week looking into all of the various and weird historic references around Valentine's Day, how it began, and who St. Valentine was. And it honestly seems that the history is mucky at worst and inconsistent at best, but very interesting nonetheless. Um, I didn't know this um, about there being multiple St. Valentines, including one being a woman, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I had never heard that before, but to be honest, I had never really looked into the history of Valentine's Day very much. I just assumed, like, I think most people, it's like, okay, well, it's a consumer holiday that's mostly um, celebrated in Western cultures, and it's just like something we're all guilted into celebrating or something, maybe not everyone feels that way, something people look forward to celebrating or a day people look forward to being celebrated um, because maybe they don't get too many other opportunities to be. But I didn't know that about um, St. Valentine. So a lot of the history that I read about it um, it, it was uncertain, but it definitely seems like there are some origins with Roman priests, which for me personally is always a little unsettling. <laughs> you hear like the history <laughs> of something begins with priests. It's like, ah, um, there's rumors that this priest or priest, because apparently there were a bunch of St. Valentine's, at least two were confirmed in history, but I don't necessarily know <laughs> The source, a bunch of different places said that, but there could have been up to 14 different St. Valentines. Um, like you mentioned, one of them being a woman, Valentina, which is pretty cool. But a lot of the history says that uh, basically one of these Roman priests would uh, marry people that wanted to get married outside the wishes of authorities back when marriages were more commonly arranged and people had less of a choice in that kind of thing. So the St. Valentine kind of became a marker or a pinpoint for love, if you will. And I thought that was interesting and kind of another part of it that I didn't pick up on when I was originally reading about this, that it was like supporting people who wanted a marriage for love, because that was kind of what we were talking about before we were recording was this idea that like marrying for love is kind of a modern concept and I didn't even really think about that I think that's something that we take for granted 
like these Bye. days that marriage typically, at least in Western civilization, like you and I are in that you get married when, and if you want to, to whom you choose, you know, that's not necessarily the case everywhere in the world still to this day. So thinking about how things used to be in relation to Valentine's day, think about it in a broader sense. It's kind of crazy that, um, a lot of people still don't get that choice. I know I have a really hard time thinking about the idea of range marriage or the idea of marriage, not even like being separate from romantic love. Um, it's something that I think is honestly kind of mysterious that the idea that it would be separate from romantic love and that now it isn't separate from romantic love. I don't know. Like, I feel like it's such a stoner thought, but I can't, like, <laughs> I truly find it just true, like mind boggling. And yeah, it's hard to separate and- something that you think belongs together. Yeah, exactly. And then the fact that, yeah, there's so many people who still have arranged marriages. And I mean, that that is just a part of people's culture for better, for worse, whether or not that's something that they desire. That's a whole other topic. So I don't yeah. even know <laughs> well, you what know, to say about that. My corny ass uh, about to talk to when, about when Harry met Sally, one of my favorite movies of all time. But if you haven't seen that movie, there's, I think it's in the beginning. And I think in throughout the movie also where they interview different couples. And I remember one of the couples from that movie being an arranged marriage and just the way that he talks about his wife. I'm going to have to see if I can legally play a clip from it. <laughs> She, in fact, could not. But it's so beautiful and it's kind of like always stuck with me because when you think of arranged marriage, at least from a Western point of view, Mm -hmm. it's like the idea of that is so sickening. It's like just a person. Someone just puts you with a person and you're just stuck with that person. But the way that they view marriage, at least some people, I don't think that it's fair to say that most people want that. In fact, I think it's probably fair to say that people not given a choice, don't ever want to be in a situation like that. Being able to choose is definitely a privilege, but um, it's interesting to see how people can really commit to a person they don't even know and make it last and make it work. I think there is something crazy admirable about that. That movie and um, Sleepless in Seattle are always like up there for me, but they're ones I haven't rewatched in a really long time. You know, um, I don't think I've ever but, seen Sleepless in Seattle. And I've oh seen When Harry Met Sally too many times to not be able to quote this to you, but we just be really <laughs> corny and have like a romantic comedy day. <laughs> yeah, really? Okay, I'm down for that. Rom com well, <laughs> rom com Tuesday. I'm such a hater about comedy and romance. So that's kind of makes it funny <laughs> that we're talking about this. But Gosh, I'm a sucker for saying? both of them. So <laughs> oh, I mean, here's the Thing, though they're both genres that I love but I feel like are not often well executed so okay I agree with that I agree with that as well <laughs> um it's what you're saying though reminds me of um another one of my favorite romantic movies which is filler on the roof and um I think there's this I can't remember if the um yeah the main character and his wife they're in an arranged marriage and like all like one way and one their daughters are like breaking from tradition and they're not like having the kind of coupling that they expect and there's this like really tender scene where he asks his wife of like 30 years of seven children or whatever like do you love me oh my gosh and she's like says you know essentially like I've washed your 
laundry, I've birthed your children. If that's not love, you know, I don't know what is. And I do think there's like some tender banality to that, the way that, you know, people do choose to make things work and show their affection for one another. And also there's something to be to say, do you love me? Like both things, things are very touching to me. So say I need to put Fiddler on my Fiddler on the roof on my uh to watch list. It's kind of embarrassing. You need I've never to put your that. Fiddler on the roof. Uh, yeah, what am I saying right now? I need to put my Fiddler on my roof for my to be read list. Is what I was saying. I don't even know where that came from. I'm gonna stop talking though. That's hilarious. <laughs> so, what do we want to say about the beginning of like what what people say was like Valentine's Day, or I guess like before we started researching this, did you have any idea of like historical valentine's day celebrations i know you said you kind of assumed it was like a capitalist holiday i i definitely had it in my head as like a hallmark holiday is what yeah. i would call it i thought a lot of it was probably like made up <laughs> yeah it's just funny because i think you know i don't know at what point you want to touch on this or how much we want to talk about this on this episode but with our upbringing with like being in a cult not celebrating holidays it's like i feel feel like we were generally like insulated against a lot of holidays and given a lot of like really strict reasons why not to celebrate them but I gotta tell you this is one that I I always felt was a little bit of a mystery as to why I wasn't allowed to participate except that it was just all capital letters pagan yeah (laughs) well that was pretty much the reason that's a pretty good stamp of reason why you can put on anything (laughs) but I think that's an interesting question because this holiday really isn't one that I had ever spent a lot of time thinking about before mostly because of that reason you know growing up the way that we did we didn't really well we didn't celebrate any holidays at all and that one was just another one so it was really easy for me as I got older teenage years and young adulthood to be like to just fall into the ew it's gross I hate it love is disgusting (laughs) capitalism (laughs) sucks you're all sheep like (laughs) hating it but then as I got older like I appreciate the idea of having a day where you're forced to think of love and appreciate it but I it got me more curious about it I will say the origins of it because um you know our upbringing had some curious definitions of other holidays and talked a lot about them in details but holidays like valentine's day mother's day father's day weird ones like that that everybody kind of takes for granted that they celebrate that we didn't i kind of never paid much attention to and to be honest Mm -hmm. with you up until constructing this episode i had never really cared much to look in it because (laughs) i just thought it's like okay, it's just a holiday for consumerism at this point. So what does it matter what the origins are? This is how it stands now. But I didn't want to do a Valentine's episode and just talk about cheesy love poems. I wanted to have a mix of love and hate and realism and history and really talk about what the holiday is. So it's been interesting to like dive in a little bit to try and learn about um, the history, but like I had said earlier, a lot of it seems really inconsistent that um, the holiday of St. Valentine's uh, has a lot of different, a lot of different theories on the exact origin of it. But there was an interesting um, bit about an ancient Roman festival that yes. circled around Valentine's, and I know you were looking in that a little bit too. But I think I'm going to butcher it. Do you know how to pronounce it? I, I mean, it's based on Latin, which I feel like we don't mm. 
pronounced correctly nowadays anyways and it's kind of silly in their pronunciations but i think it's lupercalia is the the holiday that sounds way cooler than i was gonna make it sound and it doesn't <laughs> look like the way i made this <laughs> so lupercalia, I, I like wolves. that <laughs> so i just know about it because i vaguely know about the wolf holiday but i didn't really what? know Tell how much about it this. was like Okay, do you know um, anything about, okay, so to back up, I also feel like our upbringing, at least for me, definitely gave me a deficit of, like, cultural history for a lot of, like, dominant cultures, particularly, like, the Roman Empire, mm-hmm. and we can say they suck, and I do think that's <laughs> true, but there's some really interesting shit, like this right. holiday, um, so to back it up, do you know anything about, like, rome's mythical founders there were twins named romulus and remus no tell me more (laughs) the myth is that rome was founded by these two twins romulus and remus who were abandoned as infants i was just saying that i can't remember why or how they were abandoned um the biggest part is that they were like taken in and suckled by this mythical capitoline wolf so it's like this mythical wolf creature that essentially um raised them so they're also kind of this like raised by wolves you know which is kind of cool um so i was like reading that i mean that's like the kind of initial like roman connection with wolves but i couldn't really see where or why it kind of turned into this lupercalia right um which just seemed to have a lot to do with like sacrificing animals for fertility and um you know kind of like a fertility festival of sorts but it does get weird summer vibes right (laughs) (laughs) so i mean like one of the things is that they would essentially sacrifice um dogs and male goats and then take the strips of goat hides and the luperci i think is how you would pronounce it which would be like these priests um would then allegedly take strips of goat hide and run naked through the city whipping nearby women with the bloody hides oh my and, gosh i mean it seemed like the women may have been into it <laughs> <laughs> what a wild time <laughs> right um wild. it's so interesting it, to see how something like that can somehow get from whipping people with bloodied hides to valentine's candies (laughs) right and it's just one of those things that i mean people claim like speculate about whether or not it's just an overlap because it's supposed it was allegedly took place around february 15th so Mm -hmm. and then there was this point when this medieval pope i think it was like let's see if i put it when he Gelasius, I'm probably mispronouncing it, but fuck him. <laughs> he supposedly uh, criticized Lupercalia. And then there, that's, I think, where people kind of get the idea that it was replaced with Valentine's Day. But it's mm. the same kind of thing that you were talking about earlier with Valentine's Day itself. It's like, it also seems like maybe the Lupercalia Festival was kind of mysterious in its own right as to how it got started or why it was uh why it was practiced i guess there's also a wolf goddess named luperca which is pretty cool and i don't know how to pronounce these faunus a roman god a pastoral god so it seems like there could even be more uh predating 
this festival kind of stuff. I should send the you this image to put in the show notes of these um Roman priests with wolf heads. Oh, I can't <laughs> wait. I can't wait to see that. That sounds great. Um yeah, I think it's interesting though, because to some degree, each one of these um has something to do with love or fertility or marriage. It, it all kind of seems like it comes around to some relation to what we perceive Valentine's Day yeah. as today. So even though I it's kind of like hard to lead. Yeah. Even though it's hard to like figure out where it all ties together in parts, I'm sure if we took an even deeper dive, which I dare you all to do, <laughs> um, maybe you could put the pieces together and let us know. Um, it's still celebrated. Like it's interesting. I was looking up while we were getting ready for this, how it's celebrated in other places. And if it's celebrated in other places, it was interesting. I found out that it was illegal to celebrate Valentine's day in Saudi Arabia for a really long time. And that a lot of countries really detested the idea of it altogether, that a big part of it was because it lacked cultural significance. So I think that that's really interesting, especially when it ties into how does this actually relate to Roman priests or these festivals that are loosely tied into it, that it really does seem like a holiday that kind of is really perpetuated by consumerism and, and capitalistic greed. <laughs> Oh, yeah, it's interesting what you said about it being all kind of tied into this like soup of like love and coupling because the thing that I completely left out, I was just focused on like the nakedness and the, you know, whipping to get pregnant because apparently this was the idea was that like, the more you were like, struck by these hides of leather, the more likely you were to be pregnant. So the point was that I guess during Lupercalia, men would choose a woman's name from a jar and escort her to a festival. And then in many cases, allegedly, this would form a romantic bond or even a, a marriage. Oh, that's so there you go. That's kind of the same thing you were saying, that it all loops together. It kind of reminded me of my research about this concept that like romance or marriage, um, romantic marriage is at least a modern concept. There's like a lot of arguments that people have made that romantic love was like looked down on in human history. Mm-hmm. Um, there's like I came across a quote where someone essentially said like the Iliad or Romeo and Juliet weren't celebrations of love. They were warning us against the potential negative consequences and how love and romantic emotions can ruin things. And I thought that was really interesting perspective, not one that I necessarily agree with, but just to kind of like this kind of disdain for Valentine's Day. Like now I feel like we've got to put on our like tinfoil hat and (laughs) crazy wall because I'm like, what's Uh, I love putting on my crazy hat and I'm always ready to do so. It's really interesting that you said that though. That made me think of, um, I was reading through one of Clarissa Pinkola's books earlier today. Um, I think it's, I think it was women who run with the wolves and it was talking about love and how it is the dance with lady death and how Mm. oftentimes the fear of love comes from lady death. She was saying, um, in a nutshell, I'm going to like say it way less beautifully, 
but that it's always tied into love, even though people want to run away from it. And that oftentimes that's what scares people away from the actual commitment of love. And it made me think of arranged marriages and how sometimes it's a choice that you make and not necessarily a feeling that you get because it's always difficult. It's always hard. There's always going to be different stages that die in love and in relationships and that true love is the commitment to continuously working on it. And I thought that it was really beautifully written and very interesting perspective on love that I had never really heard before. Okay. So the quote is from women who run with the wolves and it says, sometimes the one who is running from the life, death, life, nature insists on thinking of love as a boon only. Yet love in its fullest form is a series of deaths and rebirths. We let go of one phase, one aspect of love, and enter another. Passion dies and is brought back. Pain is chased away and surfaces another time. To love means to embrace and at the same time to withstand many endings and many, many beginnings, all in the same relationship. Usually when someone's talking about death, you don't think about being in love. They seem like the opposites, which I think she did say something along the lines of you'll never really fully be able to love until you accept life, death, life as a part Mm. of love. And I feel like that's hard to understand to some degrees, but at the same time, it's not. (laughs) Oh, I love that. I feel like there's so much that that like kind of brings up and evokes to me that I'm like I don't know how on topic this is but I <laughs> I love thinking about that because I think that um it's something that we don't really like to accept that everyone that we ever love will eventually die we ourselves will also die it's kind of this cultural myth that we all have that um you know, if we just love someone enough, they're immune to death. I almost feel like most of us kind of think in the back of our minds that if, you know, we just can't stomach the idea of ourselves dying, I would say it's kind of a thing that a lot of people experience, but even more so it's impossible to kind of consider the reality that someone that you love will eventually die. And I do think um, often about like sayings that all love ends in heartache and that or loss. And I truly do believe that that's true. But I also think that that's kind of beautiful and just kind of a reality of life. And I feel like what you are saying is just a much more compassionate and perhaps like in service of love way of putting it and not like a nihilistic way of putting it. I, I, think that it's good to hear stuff like that sometimes to be a reminder. I think it makes love a little bit easier when you know that it's not supposed to be easy. I'm about it. I mean, the other thing that that reminded me of, I don't want to cut you off. Um, it's just that the three of swords, like I'm going to get esoteric and this may or may not be topical, but like, it's the card that literally in the tarot, like anybody think of as being the heartbreak card it's like in a movie it's either the death card or like the three of swords which is this heart skewed with these swords and I think it's ubiquitous in this like imagery of being like related to heartbreak or heartache or breakups in some way but historically it actually had this association with being around legal contracts or even marriages um which is just kind of funny how like that one specific image in the Raider Waite Smith really like solidified this idea of like 
heartache, um, things ending in that level. But it also is a card that I always think of just like when you were reading or kind of reciting this thing from Clarissa Pinglostes, it made me think about how when I see that, I also think of the same thing that I was saying, like, you know, loss and suffering is in some way inherent to life. And if that's not an energy you've experienced, you most likely just haven't lived long enough. Um, And that's just okay. It just means you've just got more to experience and some of it is difficult. And that's just like, I think that's all kind of also wrapped up in all this to me. And I think maybe it's why um, so much of poetry about love is also like a lot of loss and a lot of heartbreak, (laughs) (laughs) which I think is part of the reason why we both really wanted to have a lovers and haters poetry draw, not just a bunch of corny love poems, but some some that more encapsulated the feeling of romance and love and all of its pleasures and troubles. And I think that we got really lucky. Some of our listener submissions that we got are so beautiful on top of the like never ending vast amount of poetry available in the world. I am not always a big poetry reader. It takes like a certain type to really get me hooked. So I was really loving challenging myself to finding some poetry that spoke to me. And first of all, some of you guys that submitted some really did and it's really amazing. And it's been really cool to go through and read some of this. And I would be remiss to not talk about this just a little bit because I love to point out how much money that we waste on things that don't matter as Americans. I was interested to see that there are statistics, um, they like track financial spending and projections, I guess on a lot of things. This is something I don't know or care about, but now I do. (laughs) (laughs) Now I do. Now that I know that I can, (laughs) but they've been tracking spending around Valentine's Day in the U.S., since 2004. And of course, naturally this year, Americans are going to spend more than they ever have before, which is like what we say every year, right? Because that's just the way that it goes. I dare you to guess the projected amount of dollars that people are going to spend on this one day in America alone. I had a hard time even conceptualizing this and I'm (laughs) looking at the number right now. 25.9 billion dollars. What the Okay. <laughs> I'm not sure I'm if just we, vomiting. we're going to cuss on this or not. We haven't really talked that through. So I edited myself out just there. Um, that That's an average of like almost $200 per person. And I don't know if y'all know about minimum wage in America, but that's a lot <laughs> of fucking money for one day for something that I think, you know, as beautiful and fun as it can be. And as much as I want to hate on it for just being capitalist and consumerist. I think it really does actually speak to what a struggle it could put on a lot of people because this holiday is huge. It's almost expected, you know, if you are in a relationship and you don't do something for your partner on this day, you're a shitty partner. You know, you aren't taking your time to focus or spend your efforts on that person on this day. And I think they can really put a lot of pressure on people and it makes me kind of sad to talk about, but, you know, I think it's important to show love to people in your life whenever you can and not in just ways that are financial. I mean, it's easy to want to. I'm so grateful that you did this 
uh, like research on this honestly kind of mind-boggling and frankly just disgusting topic to me how much money people spend on things that literally get thrown out because it is something to like think about i mean this is ultimately we're talking about love we're talking about coupling we're talking about people coming together because of emotions things that are totally ephemeral and not material and so it seems silly at best to try to like make it so materialistic and i think that for me i've been married a long time and i have so many friends and even just like on, I don't know, random people who have like given me such side eyes or even just open contempt because I'm not like celebrating Valentine's in a very like capitalistic sense or even just kind of like making it seem as if that I don't value the relationship or even worse, I think because of gender roles and like expectations that are just also fucking stupid people kind of insinuating, well, then my spouse doesn't care about me. Um, And that's just like, I mean, I feel like now I'm going to have this as like in my back pocket of how much money people spend because without going on too much of a tangent, I'll also say that I think a lot of people I know who are in long-term committed relationships seem to really struggle with like showing their affection in ways that don't just mean like gifts and gift giving. And I think that our culture really encourages us to just buy, buy, buy. But the number of folks that I know that like have to just kind of constantly one-up themselves between their Christmas and their anniversary and Valentine's Day. I mean, I couldn't afford that, you know. That's something that I think about a lot. I just don't even want anything. (laughs) So (laughs) I feel that I feel that way a lot. I feel like um especially because of our upbringing, not like celebrating birthdays or holidays and like gift giving not like on consistent holidays, that tradition not being ingrained in us, it's almost kind of weird when someone's like, what do you want for your birthday? What do you want for Christmas? You know, I feel like this is a good way, like chance to throw in that, you know, this last year, a really good friend of both of ours challenged um, our friend group to like try to do homemade gifts for the following Christmas. And he kind of was specific of like, could we build a crafter skill over the course of the year and that be something that we try to give one another. And I love that challenge and I love that idea of like making a gift something that like not only was it something that you created, but also kind of part of something that you're working on for yourself. Like this idea of like the more that we work on ourselves and get in touch with our bliss or like whatever it is that you want to call it, the more that we're also able to share that with others um, my rant about capitalism is that I think it definitely disconnects us from that connection to ourself, among yeah, other things. I agree with that completely. And I think that's such an amazing idea. I think that you're right. Um, you kind of talked about this a little bit about how like it almost makes you feel at least other people will make you feel that like if you don't participate in things like Valentine's Day or you don't give a certain type of gift or a big enough gift for not just Valentine's Day but other holidays or birthdays or scenarios where it's what is expected of you you almost are like conditioned to relate your worth to that, whatever people are giving to you or whatever you receive or can buy is like how much you're worth or how much you're loved. And it kind of sucks. Like I think about that stereotypical, like 
partner that you're afraid of on Valentine's day that you're like, I got shit. I got to get 10 dozen roses. I got to get all <laughs> the chocolates. I got to get all this thing. Cause I need this person to know that I love them. And this is what they're expecting. And, you know, maybe not everybody, maybe some people really are just greedy and want it all. But I think to some degree, we subconsciously relate the things that we receive and gifts, especially on holiday, like Valentine's day to our worth and how much we're loved. And it's honestly really working because $25.9 billion, dude, we are all struggling to pay rent. How are we doing this dog? How are we doing this? <laughs> Y'all don't have car insurance. What's going on? I'm just going to simply say that I do look forward every year to clearance candy. Oh, clearance candy. Yes. Which is interesting actually, because on that statistic too, I thought about this when you were saying, um, speaking on how it's mostly stuff that gets thrown away and the statistic was that over 50% of all gifts given, I think it was closer to 60, um, 57, here we go. Here's my notes. 57% of all consumers will buy candy, um, making it the most popular item, which obviously a lot of us probably not getting thrown out, especially any of it that arrives in my house, it will be eaten, but (laughs) it will be shit out. So like, (laughs) you know, what are we really spending our money on? You know, that's hilarious to think about. Oh my God. No, I love this. I love our rants, though, because we warned people that this was for lovers and haters. I think this boils down to is that we do really, I mean, we both cherish love and connection as a concept. I think personally, um, I could say, like, I know that human relationship and like my interpersonal relationships are really valuable to me. You know, the people that I'm really closest to, they help me relate to myself. They help me with decision-making and not just like in the sense of, you know, bouncing ideas off of other people. I just think I'm a very like relationally oriented person. Mm -hmm. So when I get more into this stuff, like I think I've both probably feel strongly about this because we're like, no, this should be wholesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think that if anything, it's a good time. You know, Valentine's Day is here, whether we love it or hate it and whether we participate in it or don't, but at best, it's a chance to reflect on what love and relationships mean to you. My whole life force is the relationships that I have, and I think that it's important to nurture those all of the time. I'm trying to see if it's in here or not. I had like a class one time where I had to do um, find character strengths, like to find my character strengths, and I took this little quiz, and I thought that it was going to be really dumb, and I didn't want to do it, but I ended up finding it really affirming because it had like I don't know, maybe 60 different things, you know, it had like a lot of different concepts of strengths. Mm. And one of my character strengths was love. And it was defined as feels like a both win. loving and being loved, valuing close relationships with that genuine. And I found that validating because I was like, oh my God, this is actually like considered like academic like context this is considered a strength and at the time I really needed that validation listen if that was me I would have printed it out and brought it to my therapist that week and been like look 
I win. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't even need you anymore. <laughs> well, I did save it and it was accessible so that I could quote it to you just now. So oh, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes uh, you just need those things, but it goes to show like how simple it is that something could be validating for you or show you love or be the thing you need at a certain time at an unexpected so- place. <laughs> We have pretty similar taste in poetry, and I think it's something that we've pretty we have definitely bonded over and talked about. So, do we want to like name some of um, the poems or the poets that we kind of sifted through that we were like preparing for this episode? I feel like um, you sent me a great library hall that maybe we can <laughs> throw up on the Instagram or in the show notes. Oh yeah, so you know when we decided to record this episode I went through my own personal stack of library in my closet and I found a few poetry books that I've read a hundred times over and you know I needed more so I went to the library not really sure what I was going to get as one does um, and found some really awesome books in fact um, Nikki Giovanni was a poet that I was not familiar with but very popular in the 60s and 70s and I found a book of all of her works I'm really excited to read those because I hadn't heard of her work before either um I love that you found All About Love from Bell Hooks, and I couldn't believe that that was one that, um, oh, it was When Angels Speak of Love, which is her poetry collection. And I was thinking of how, like, All About Love was one that we totally bonded over, and I was like, how could I forget Bell Hooks' poetry? But I honestly meant to look up a few more people because there were people like um, Rainer Maria Rilke, who I love, and I didn't even grab any of his poems to throw on the podcast so yeah that's one thing I will say that has been difficult about collecting poetry for this episode is there is just too many beautiful poets out there and there's just way too much to choose from and gosh try narrowing it down to love and romance so there have I ever sent you this message to poets by um Thomas Merton I don't think so. Although that sounds like maybe something that you've told me about before. I'm obsessed with it. It was at the end of um, my zine that I wrote and I had like this quoted it, but I couldn't put it all in. That's where I recognize it from. (laughs) It was just really cool because it was read at this um, really impromptu meeting of Latin American poets in Mexico City. And it was just like most people who weren't necessarily like really well-known authors so it was also like he was just kind of talking to I feel like real poets it's amazing I am so grateful that we had such a strong response with all of the poetry to throw into our episode I don't think that it would have been quite the same without it um just the idea that like someone's just sharing something personal and poetry is so fucking vulnerable yes and oftentimes so intimate that I think just the fact that someone would share it it does mean a lot to us definitely all that being said let's finally get to some poetry we hope we do yours some justice song by Allen Ginsberg the weight of the world is love under the burden of solitude under the burden of dissatisfaction, the weight, the weight we carry is love. Who can deny in dreams it touches the body and thought constructs a miracle in imagination anguishes till born inhuman, looks out of the heart 
burning with purity for the burden of life. Cane Break of Dawn by Rosie Davis At dawn, the sun sheds its skin like a temper, remnants clinging to each other like lovers, afraid to be lonely, afraid to die. When a snake sheds its skin, its body growing like a muscadine vine, strong and otherworldly, what refuse to flourish is left behind. They become blind like the futures, holding two hands over their eyes as the past slows away. The skin that carried them, though, held them together as the days melted into nights, left in the leaf litter or in the dirt, as if it wasn't a tapestry of life itself. When we shed our skin, we are cowardly, anxious, proud, sentimental, afraid. To look loneliness in the eye, to assume the risk of the future, turns reality into a splinter, a fever, hot and painful and uncertain. We beg it to stay. We cover ourselves, we try to bleed, we try not to scar. We hold fast, knuckle white and ignorant. We name the days and assign them rituals. We quantify sunrises until they are symbols. Our skin has to shed without us noticing for it to shed at all. Afraid to be present, afraid to whisper an elegy, afraid to trip over the words to forget the arbitrary, to make a current. When a snake sheds its skin, it is a susurration of the sun letting the day die. Tender is longing, giving birth to the night in a cadence of color as we fight pitilessly to hold the hours in our hands, like stones, like each other, like ourselves. By the time we shed our ego and take our place below the snakes, secrets locked inside our bodies like diving bells, our avoidance becomes permeable. Every caution wrapped in tendons and ligaments, unearthed by mycelium, unveiled in the final shed. Or So I'm Told, by Lindsay Fettick. Love is a wonderful thing, magical even. The tingle when they touch you, the butterflies that erupt right before you see them. Your New Year's kiss, your Valentine, your wedding date. The person you trust more than anyone. Who you grow with, buy a house with, fight with, make up with, grow old with. Love is a wonderful thing, or so I'm told. Until then, by Anna Glenn. When the sun is a glimmer of pink stabbed by the black shadows of treetops, I breathe the memory of your breath in the darkness, the ether that held you moments before and all future's plans, that wait on undercurrents of what-ifs. We'll have our day, hands linked, faces sore with smiles, as we voice our vows and send laughter searching through layers of wind. For the first whispers of our love so long ago, for there is a breeze that knows us, has heard everything there is to hear and continues on. Through everything unseen, to one day wrap around us in a day of possibility, when all that matters is your skin on mine. A leap of faith, commitment of life and love that will shatter extinction. I sit upon the skirts of nightfall, the intention of my pursed lips, ghosting into a butterfly fluttering in the air, a kiss searching for your mouth. Until then. Untitled by Cameron Hunt Pain lies in all directions, yet fear no longer drives me. And as I see beauty high atop the mountain, I will brush away the thorns of pain and the blood that they draw as I stride steady toward the summit.
Love Poem by Audre Lorde Speak earth and bless me with what is richest. Make sky flow honey out of my hips rigid as mountains spread over a valley carved by the mouth of rain. And I knew when I entered her, I was high wind in her forests, hollow fingers, whispering sound, honey flowed from the spit cup. Impaled on a lance of tongues on the tips of her breast, on her navel and my breath, howling into her entrances through lungs of pain. Greedy as herring gulls or a child, I swing out over the earth, over and over again. My dear Victoria, my dear Victoria, your comforting hands gracefully please my face. The face you have is drawn by artisans. How can you be so happy all of the time? Is it the shape of your body or is it the kindness of your character? There is no answer to it because the alluring nature of your beauty is a gift from God. My dear Victoria, if you choose to be with me, your loss will carry me into madness. I promise to protect and love you like no other man. Embarrassing you would disgrace my honor as a warrior. I will not always be a providing man, but at least a true gentleman. My dear Victoria, I love you to the very ends of the earth. I will build a house on the lands where my ancestors once lived, raise children that will understand our values and learn from our love. Never will I ever care about the way you look. My dear Victoria, you are pure love. Finding Daisies You can't wear me down for years with your words, breaking all my bones, and expect me still to have the same shape. My body has healed since then, but the form I took on is different. These hands don't look the same and they no longer want to reach for you. My face has gotten older, and it no longer yearns to turn towards yours. I'm not lonely. I'm not lonely, sleeping all alone. You think I'm scared, but I'm a big girl. I don't cry or anything. I have a great big bed to roll around in, and lots of space. And I don't dream bad dreams like I used to have that you were leaving me anymore. Now that you're gone, I don't dream, and no matter what you think, I'm not lonely, sleeping all alone. A fool jumps in, wanting to know, desire, abandon, hope, all ye who enter here. A fool jumps in, what is love, Venusian, resplendent, caressing, is it the glamour? the many forms before our eyes, after our senses, the story of a lock and key, your unknowing recognition of my pain. We dance the whirlwind, frantic, kinetic, energy expending to exhaustion. Is it Mercury or Mars? Saturn owns the truth. Underneath the moon we played our heart's content, glimpses of hints of glimmers, distractions, clashes, fractals. Are these factual? Facets of the actual? Or merely habitual? The same, different, difficult. What is love? 
Saturn knows it is unconditional, the sun in splendor, in love with the ritual, never ending. Why does a fool jump in? Untitled. She will love you like a fire until there's nothing left to give. Is life worth it when love won't let you live? Thanks for hanging out and listening. You can be a part of the conversation by emailing us at bimbobookshelf at gmail.com, Instagram at bimbobookshelf, or voicemail via Anchor. Please send us your comments and questions on Prometheus Rising by Robert Anton Wilson or adjacent topics, and be on the lookout for it as our next episode. And if you enjoyed our show today, you can subscribe and leave us a sweet five-star review or just tell a friend. It helps us recruit the others. Until next time.